0: So welcome to this episode of the Dental System Nation podcast, powered by Ignite DA. My name is Kevin Henry. I am the editor-in-chief for DrByCuspid.com, as well as the co-founder of Ignite DA. And whether you found us through Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher, or CastBox, or so many other places, or even DrBicuspid.com, we thank you for listening today. Uh, Pleased, as always, to be joined by not only a dear friend, but one of the leading voices out there whenever it comes to infection control and prevention in the dental industry, and that's our dear friend, Mary Gavoni. Hey, Mary, how are you?
1: Hey, Kevin, I'm great. How are you? I am
0: good. You know, Um, I will tell you, there's two big trends that I know we want to tackle in this podcast, so uh, we'll dispense with the pleasantries as (laughs) well and uh, and dive right in. Uh, You know, let's, let's start with something that you've been seeing whenever it comes to the hygiene side of the practice, and and how it relates to COVID nineteen. And I'm just gonna kinda throw the ball up there and let you hit it out of the park.
1: Okay. Thanks, Kevin. And yeah. thanks for having me back again. We, we have to stop meeting like this, Kevin.
0: One <laughs> <laughs> these days we'll actually see each other again. Yeah. Yeah, we
1: got this. So. No kidding. Well, one of the trends that I've been seeing, um, a lot of um, questions that I see on different Facebook groups and pages, but also questions that I receive is about dental team members, particular, particularly hygienists, not wanting to see a patient that indicates that they have had COVID. And so I just want to clear up some sort of misunderstandings and myths about that. If that patient is considered to be symptom-free and it's been more than 10 to 14 days, it is safe, according to the CDC, to treat them, <coughs> excuse me, but you follow your standard precautions. Um, even though we hear on the news, and maybe this is where this is coming from, we're hearing news reports of people who have had symptoms for a very long time and they've told they recovered and then they have some recurrence or that for weeks or months after they don't have any more symptoms, they still test positive for the virus, not the antibodies, but for the virus itself. And the science Has shown that even if someone still tests positive, they don't have a fever anymore, they have no symptoms, that their virus may still be present, but most likely it's not. And the term that's used is competent, not able to reproduce. So that would mean that they weren't infectious. But the reality of this whole situation is very much like treating a patient who had hepatitis B or hepatitis C, that if we're following the appropriate precautions, it shouldn't matter. But out of an abundance of precaution, we don't see patients that we suspect or know have an active case of COVID-19. So I hope that helps some of the questions out there. But this is, I hear the term wild, wild west, Used a lot to describe what's going on with us right now. And, and, um, the biggest trend, of course, that we see is new updates to the CDC's interim yeah. guidance. Yeah,
0: let's dive into that because I can tell you I've seen a lot of questions about that coming up. On
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So we're now into version four. It started in April, then we had May, then we had June, and now we have the latest one from August 4th. The What I like about this particular set of documents is that they've sort of rearranged it so it's got a better flow to it. So if you read through it, and I would encourage all of your listeners, Kevin, to read this document, not once, but twice, because, or, or maybe more if you can stand it, because it's just like watching a, a movie or a TV episode that the second time you watch it is like, oh, I missed that first, or oh, I didn't get that. So that's a, a key thing, and the best way to get a hold of this is go to cdc.gov, cdc.gov, and then just do a search for interim guidance for dental settings. And then that'll take you right to the, the document in the search. So what they've done in the new guidance is done a couple of, besides the rearranging, a couple of... Um, concepts that they've talked about before that weren't perhaps as clear um, in how they describe them. So one is defining what is a patient with a fever or a healthcare provider with a fever, because there was a little bit of inconsistency. One document said 100.4, one document said 100 or greater, but now they've added in this term called a subjective fever. So just because somebody has an elevated temperature doesn't necessarily mean they have COVID. They may have, especially somebody coming in for treatment of dental pain, that fever may be result the result of a dental infection. An abscessed tooth could be a periodontal abscess. And so if the patient has a fever 100 or greater, but they've got some swelling, they have some very specific pain in a tooth, then we don't suspect in that case that they have COVID. We suspect that they have what the CDC is calling a subjective fever. So hopefully that clarifies things a little bit for people.
0: Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of jumping to inclusion sometimes, shall we say? About, mm-hmm. And I know a, an abundance of caution, as you said earlier, is, is a very important thing, but yet it has to be an educated abundance of caution as well, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so if someone comes in and they have a fever of greater than a hundred or greater, and they have some other symptoms of COVID, they say, you know, I've had a sore throat. um, I've had muscle aches and pains. I've had some, you know, diarrhea, uh, lost my sense of taste and smell, then ding, 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 ding. Then we know that it's most likely COVID. But if it's only a fever all by itself, and there's no other underlying symptoms of COVID, and we know that there's perhaps some localized dental infection, then it is okay to treat that patient. Now, the same sort of thing goes for an employee. If an employee has a fever of 100 or greater, then we have to look for whether or not they have any other symptoms. And so if they don't, but there's a case where out of an abundance of caution, what I would do is have that employee go to see their medical provider or go to an urgent care facility just to see if there is anything else going on. I mean, I had a, a case um a couple of weeks ago where an employee came in with a relatively high fever, 101. So first of all, she shouldn't have come into work in the first place, but she may not have taken her temperature at home. And she had a sore throat, but she had no other symptoms. And so they sent her home, go to her medical provider, and turns out she had strep. She didn't have COVID, she had strep. So the the fever for patients were going to, Look to see if there's any underlying symptoms. If they're not, if we know that there perhaps is a fever that is of dental origin, dental infection origin, we can see them. But an employee, they come in, their fever's 100 over, we send them to their physician, send them to the healthcare provider, get them evaluated. And if they determine that there aren't other symptoms, then the practice can make the choice of, well, you know, stay home the rest of the day, stay home a couple of days, let's see if we develop other symptoms, and we kind of go from there. so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in in a bit. yeah but one that's one thing the other thing that is that i don't know that i've seen mentioned before is for the providers to make sure that they're documenting in the patient record not only that they took the patient's temperature but they're documenting that there is a lack of other symptoms so to make it a little more concise and this is a risk management tool it's about you know documenting everything about treatment to be safe in the in the long run. So I would just make an entry, patient's temperature, whatever the reading was, no COVID symptoms, and that's all the documentation that I really need.
0: You know, the medical history form and that documentation, it seems like right now is more important maybe than it's ever been before, at least outside looking in.
1: Absolutely it is. And there are a lot of practices Um, that don't pay as close of attention to it. They don't like to have to ask patients to update the form because the patients give pushback. And that's what I always call the inmates running the asylum that, you know, you, you need those records. That's again, part of risk management. And I'm sorry if the patients don't like it, but they need to do it. But therein lies, I think, a really, really good, um, impetus for looking at electronic tools for, you know, look into technology. Can we, in our confirmation message, have a link to a portal, either in our management software or website, whatever, where they can update that before they get there? And then it won't take quite as much time. And we may just have to capture a digital signature when they come in that they've updated it. But I think that might be just part of standard operating procedure or should be so that it gets updated automatically every time they come in. Please do this. My physician's office does that. You, you are told when you get your confirmation call, please go to the portal for the group, the medical group and review all your information, insurance, of course, and, you know, other contact information. Let us know if there's any changes, anything that you want to discuss with the doctor when you come in, and you must do it. If you haven't done it, when you get to your appointment, they will reschedule you. Now, that's a that's a tough thing to convince somebody of in dentistry, but I think we can teach patients to be compliant like that. So
0: well and in today's electronic age that's very commonplace i mean i know there are people who will give pushback just to give pushback sometimes you know yes. but at the same time i think we're also used to clicking a button or filling out a form online before we go into anywhere especially in these last 6 months or so mm-hmm. it seems like a no-brainer to me
1: exactly well and and it's also kind of operating by the 80/20 rule you know many people in life, but I see a lot of it in dentistry too, is like, well, there's one or two patients that don't want to do it. Therefore, we're just not going to do it. Yeah. Hey, if I get 50% of my people that will do that ahead of time and will comply with updating health histories ahead of time, then that's great. But hey, let's strive for the, 20, the, the 80% and then we'll deal with the other 20% but we kind of lose sight of that. As soon as we get pushed back, we freak out and need to stay calm and keep going.
0: Well, and, and, and I think going back a little bit, this whole staying calm thing, you know, there are so many assumptions right now about, Oh, is this COVID? Oh, you know, does this person have it? Oh, should I treat this person like we like you've been talking about? Right. Make those assumptions sometimes handcuff us from why we're in dentistry in the first place, and that's obviously to to help people. But right. but these blinders have come down in the last few days and weeks, and and let's be honest, this updated guidance. I know a lot of folks. It's just it's really made them kind of go into a cocoon about things like this too. Because, <laughs> well, things keep changing.
1: Yeah. And and people are fearful and rightfully so, but we need to be rational about it. Like you said, keep calm, follow the guidance and we're we're good because the guidance is based on science. And you know, that's the other thing and you and I have chatted about this before that there's so much crazy stuff out there, you know, in webinars and in social media, you know, try this, try that. I, there was a feed on one of the pages the other day that said a doctor was going to take the N95 masks home and put them in the washing machine. Like, okay, well, you might as well just throw them away because most likely they won't be any good after that. (laughs)
0: It, it, it's amazing, and you know, there's there's a science, and and I didn't talk to you about this before he came on the air. There's a a new study out this morning. I saw out of I believe it's the University of Illinois that talks about how you can put them in an electric cooker for 45 minutes, and they're just fine. Uh, so yeah. it's it's very uh, interesting, and and I know we're getting all sorts of information from all sorts of sources, but the CDC guidance and the trusted resources like OSAP. Like places in dentistry, that's where you've got to go anytime there's any kind of confusion, I think.
1: Absolutely. Because if a patient claimed that they got COVID at the dental practice, or if an employee said that they contracted it as an occupational exposure, as opposed to a community exposure, and a practice was using something like that, yeah, let's put them in a, in a microwave, let's put them in the washing machine and all that, then if you don't have scientific data um, that in in uh, FDA clearance or a NIOSH certification or something around what you've been doing and wearing um, for PPE, including following CDC guidance, you're not going to come out on the winning end of some of those things. You're going to be so so um, liable for those kinds of things. But people are looking for any port in the storm, and but I. I would say, follow the science, look to, as you said, the trusted experts. So yeah, and, now, oh, go no, ahead. No, no, please. There's another um, change to the, or addition to the the CDC guidance that probably there may be some pushback from some of the, um, team members and and perhaps even from some of the doctors, and that is to wear eye coverings at all times because the concern is, and we heard some information this well, either this week or last week from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks about the the concern with droplets and the possible airborne um, contamination of the mucous membranes of the eyes. So wearing prescription glasses, doesn't really cover your eyes because they don't touch your face normally there's there's a place for aerosols or droplets to get in around your um, your glasses and underneath your your lenses and get into the mucous membranes of your eyes. So hopefully practices are following the universal source control um, guidance, which is that you should have a face covering on in the office at all times. It does not have to be your N95 respirator when you're not providing direct patient care. But if you're, for example, in the break room, then you need a face covering on unless you're eating, of course. And now they're saying that you should have an eye covering on as well. So Safety goggles, which are not the most comfortable, I would say put your face shield on, disinfect it between patients, and just keep that face shield on. Or have another face shield or just dis- even like a disposable one that you can wear outside of the treatment rooms, and you put that on when you come out of the treatment room. So I know people are starting to feel kind of like they have this suit of armor on, but... Again, we have to remember, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. So put the face shield on, keep it on to be protected. The other issue that's discussed is physical distancing. And I know a lot of practices are having this issue like with their break rooms.
0: Yeah.
1: How, how do we have the entire team at lunch at the same time, be in the break room, have to take our masks off to eat, can't wear a face shield when we're eating, and that's posing a lot of challenges. Some practices are saying, "Go outside," which is fine when the weather is cooperative um or go eat in your car," which you know it, it it's an alternative um, or you go somewhere else you know to eat so that's a that's a challenge that's going to affect i think the design of of dental practices in the future that they're going to have to provide bigger spaces for people for social distancing. And the CDC again is, is reiterating what they have said all along that for aerosol generating procedures, they are recommending N95 respirators or higher. And even though there's still those emergency use authorizations in place and the KN95s are an alternative and in the updated guidance, they're not even talking about wearing a level three mask and a face shield. They're talking about N95 or higher for routine dental procedures. So that's a pretty strong statement, I think.
0: I think so too. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, this updated guidance, like you said, it's not just a, a one time read, but it's something you've got to be very confident about. And it may take multiple reads to get through that.
1: Yep, absolutely. And so um, one of the things that I'm working on right now, and, and we'll put the link in to um, this podcast, is a YouTube video. It'll be a webinar of going and taking a much deeper dive into these guidance documents and helping practices to be able to um, develop their own protocols for what to do if, and there'll be a lot of scenarios. What happens if yep. an employee is COVID positive? What can, when can they come back to work? And what do you do if you find out that a patient was COVID positive? So, yeah.
0: Well, yes. And and this will be uh, on Dr. Bicuspid. Uh, so if you're finding this through the Dental System Nation uh, podcast stream, Make sure you go to drbycuspid.com, uh, search for Gavoni, G-O-V-O-N-I, uh, Mary's last name. And you will find uh, not only this podcast embedded in an article, but also the link not only to the CDC guidance, but also to uh, Mary's YouTube video that she is talking about as well. So we're going to try to have it all in one uh, nice, neat place.
1: Yay. Yay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good my God, we've got, we've got to try to do something to help our little friends out we there. We do. And of course, we're still waiting to hear from OSHA. I know that the state of Virginia has some new OSHA regulations regarding covid Um, But I haven't seen any other states yet, but we're still waiting to hear from federal OSHA and other states. So if any of our listeners are from Virginia, you should go to the Virginia OSHA website and check out the new guidance from the state of Virginia.
0: Well, I know uh, we have one dear friend, Angela, who's a great dental assistant in the great state of Virginia. And I have a feeling that you just gave her some homework. So (laughs) that's good to
1: know. Yeah, Um, sorry, Virginia.
0: um so i know there's a, we've dove into a lot there's yes. a lot to dive into and mary i I will tell you one thing that i'm thankful for is i know you always stay on top of this in fact you're the one who sends me the little emails going hey uh, you know which is great and god bless you for that but i want to make sure people know how to get a hold of you and stay up with you because i know you're updating people constantly on sure.
1: the pages. Uh, well, thank you. I'm sure you dread those emails. Guess what, Kevin?
0: <laughs> no, it's an excuse to do this with you, so I don't mind them at all.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, great. All right. So, yes, um, if anyone has questions, they want to connect with me directly, they can reach me by email at mary at mary Gavoni G-O-V-O-N-I dot com. My website is MaryGavoni.com. There will be information there. And as Kevin said, we will have the link to the YouTube webinar um, embedded. And so you'll be able to access that through Dr. Bicuspid. And Um, Again, if anyone has questions, just let me know. And I hope that everyone stays safe and stays calm. Yeah, We'll get through this, but we just don't know how much longer we have to stay calm. That's the problem.
0: Well, and one thing we know is, let's be honest, there are going to be more changes. There's going to be more guidance, you know. And so, you know, whatever we know now, know the goalposts may be moved a little bit, but doing what you can now is, is the key thing, I think.
1: Absolutely. And if there are listeners out there that are interested, OSAP is having their annual conference virtually next week. It's Thursday, Friday and Saturday next week, August. Don't hold me on the dates. I think. All right.
0: The beauty of it is, guess what we're going to do? We're going to put a link to that in the Dr. Bicuspid article, too. I mean, why not? Let's just
1: absolutely let's do it because you can still register and there will be amazing information on that OSAP annual conference.
0: I will tell you, I'm attending it virtually uh, because, yeah, the the lineup looks spectacular. Uh, Michelle Lee and and the entire crew at OSAP have done a fantastic job, as always. And and again, let me just quick plug here osap.org. If you are in dentistry and you are at all interested, and by the way, you should be, in infection control and prevention in your practice, that's the go-to uh, site. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so uh, you're the go-to person. I really appreciate you being on as always. Uh, you're very kind with your time and, and with your expertise as well.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity, Kevin. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know these are trying times. We know that there's a lot going on and that's why we try to bring you uh, the best resources and the most knowledgeable experts in the industry to talk to you about them. Hey, make sure you're subscribed to the Dental System Nation podcast. Uh, no matter where you get your podcast, we'd love to have that as well as we'd love to have those little ratings. If you like what you heard today, And uh, please also uh, consider becoming a free member of drbycuspid.com, drbycuspid.com. And we will try to keep bringing you the latest information because we believe strongly that whenever we all learn together, hey, together we rise.